Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, Arts-Based Community Development Director with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with Oxford artist Andy Bedsworth. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Well, I want to talk a little bit about um, your work as a fiber artist, but before we get into the details, okay. let's start back at the beginning. So um, tell me, you know, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up, I was born in Texas, but I moved there, um, I moved from there when I was quite young. So I really grew up in Louisiana, in the Baton Rouge area, really spent most of my all schooling there, most of it. So 28 years really in the Baton Rouge area. Okay, and did you um, did you go to college there? Did you go? To so I did go to undergrad at LSU. It wasn't my first choice, but I got a full ride, you know, to do theater, which is what I wanted to do. And so, um, and I wasn't quite sure by the time I graduated from high school. I didn't think I wanted to perform. But I had the scholarship, and so I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and have fun. And I got to the to LSU, and as part of my scholarship, they said, oh, you get a work-study job. And I was like, oh, awesome. And they said, you can pick costume, set, or lighting. And lighting seemed intimidating because you had to um, climb ladders and be up in high spaces. And set design seemed out of my element and by this point I had been sewing since I was 14 I made like all my I made my clothes I made like my little prom dresses and stuff so I was like well I know how to sew put me in the costume shop you know and they did and by a spring break of my freshman year I I didn't know costume design was a job you know like a profession (laughs) I was like I remember telling um the shop manager I was like I think this is the perfect career for me. And she was like, I think you're right. And that was all she wrote, that I was off doing like internships in the summer and studying costume design, making costumes. So you unintentionally got into costume design. You know what, what I unintentionally got into a lot of things and that's sort of a through line throughout my life actually. (laughs) Costume. I was really in in under in high school. I went to performing arts high school, Baton Rouge Magnet High School, and we didn't have any like football or anything. It was all art, so it was like it was like the high school from fame, and I had always wanted to go. Right, so I was so excited for PE. I studied ballet, and for four years I did theater. And so there were times during that part that if you had asked me, I had wanted to be a performer. But by the time I hit my senior year. I was very willing to be backstage more. I was like, I don't want all the people tell me my voice isn't right or my body isn't right or I just want to do something related to the performing arts, but I wasn't quite sure. So landing in the costume shop was sort of the perfect fit for me. So uh, you said you already knew how to sew. So when did, did you learn how to sew? I learned, and this is kind of a funny story because my mom 
always sewed. Um, and so I grew up in a crafting household, right? And sewing, crafting, there was always a needle and thread. We were always gluing stuff, making stuff. You know, my mom would make like, you know, Christmas decorations out of bleach bottles. You know, it was like that kind of household, right? You know, so that um, I wanted to learn how to sew. I was probably seven or eight, and I had a, a shaving Ken doll. I don't know if you were alive in the 70s, but I had this shaving Ken doll I got for Christmas and he had just some pants on and I don't even remember that he came with the shirt and um I was upset because my Barbies all had cool clothes and I wanted to make some new outfits for Ken so I asked my mom if I could sew some and she said yeah and so I proceeded to take two rectangles and sew a line through the middle and up the two sides and she said that's not going to work Andy this is going to work. It's going to work. I can do this. Well, of course, it didn't work, and it wasn't a pair of pants. I was very frustrated. My mom said that I didn't have any patience, and I was never going to learn how to sew. So <laughs> fast forward to eighth grade, and I signed up for home ec. That was back when they still had home ec in Louisiana, and I took home ec. The first semester was um, cooking. And second semester was sewing. And I sewed a pair. We had to all sew a blazer and a pair of pants. And I remember I made, we all had to make the same thing. I made my blazer and my pair of pants. And I, it was very frustrating. And But I wore them to school. And I remember my friends saying, I wouldn't wear that. They wouldn't wear theirs. They were like, they're bell bottoms. Because they weren't the pegged pants. They were just straight leg pants. But I was like, I put all this work into it. I'm wearing my outfit. And then I took a little break, probably about six months, and then I started wanting some things of my own, some clothes, and I thought, well, it was expensive to get them in the store so that I could make them. And that was the end. Then I was making all kinds of stuff, shorts and dresses and then prom stuff. I mean, I really got into it. I was like, you know, really sewing. And mom helped me because by then I was willing to listen to her advice you know <laughs> so maybe I'm, she saw you were interested maybe saw that you had gained some patience and said yeah, okay I'll meet you halfway <laughs> and and I wasn't you know I never did make a pair of pants for kids you know I mean he's out there somewhere in a landfill with no no pants but I did make clothes for the Barbies okay yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this was, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, it was this way as well. Like, the the Barbie came with the, the stack of clothes. You know, I guess now they, they come. I think each Barbie has its own clothes. I don't know how uh, it works. This one just came but, with an outfit. And then you were, now you could buy the girl clothes at mm-hmm. Howard Johnson's a little, so, but you could not, they didn't have any kin clothes. So a blazer seems really difficult. You know what? I look back at that, and I'm like, what was that teacher thinking? Because not only was it a blazer, but the pants were a three-casing elastic, which I know probably doesn't make any sense. But if you think about that, your pajama pants have one elastic or drawstring in them. Think if they had three, okay? And it was crazy hard. And I didn't do another three-casing elastic until, like, three years ago, you know, in my wow. 40s, you know. So I'm not sure why she thought that was a beginner project. Because you were in eighth grade? I was in eighth grade, yeah. Wow, that's... Now, it wasn't a structure blazer. It wasn't like, you know, um, but still, yeah, it was... I look back at that now, now that I sew well and I'm a sewing teacher and I'm like, 
oh my goodness, we should have just made like pajama pants, you know, or mm-hmm. shorts. Like that was a very intense project. It was like throwing you guys into the deep end a little bit. <laughs> it like really was. And I don't even know if any of the other kids s- still sew because they were like, they wouldn't wear their outfit. Maybe that was the sign. Yeah. When yeah. you were the only one wearing it. I was like, outfit. I'm wearing And it was not a pretty outfit, you know, because I had messed it up and I'd re-sewn it. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I put a lot of work into that. Yeah. yeah you know, I when I was a kid, I convinced my mom to add some pants, a pant leg I had taken off one of my pants and jeans and add it as a arm to a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> And she refused for so long, I guess, to spare me embarrass- future embarrassment. <laughs> um, and I finally convinced her to let uh-huh. me to do it and then wore the outfit together. You uh-huh. know? Of course, opposite, like opposite right. arm. with Right. Uh, opposite you know. leg. Yeah. It sounds fabulous. Thank actually. you. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think she was most shocked that I had no qualms about wearing I wore wearing it. it with pride. Right. I mean, yeah. I yeah. thought, I asked you to do it for a reason. I'm right. not right. nervous about <laughs> what right. it's going to look this like. This is my style. Yeah. I feel yeah. great about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, she still gives me a hard time about it. <laughs> My mom and I laugh all the time now because I've made my living for 20 years sewing. You know, I mean, I still kind of do, right. you know, and so we laugh about it. I never was going to have patience to learn how to sew. <laughs> so, okay, so you're in Louisiana. What brings you to Oxford? The job at the theater department. So after I worked, after I graduated from undergrad in 93 at LSU with theater, and it was like an emphasis in costume design, I made my way over um, to freelancing. um, And I would freelance for, you know, I worked at a children's theater there um, for three years as their resident designer. I sewed bridesmaids dress, fishing nets for the agricultural department at um, LSU, I did all kinds of stuff, uh, dance costumes. And eventually I landed the job of the costume shop manager at LSU where I had been an undergrad. My friend who was there at the time, she quit and she said, why don't you apply? You would be great. And so I did that and I was there for seven years and realized that there was sort of a ceiling if I didn't have that MFA. You know, Mm -hmm. I was always going to be a shop manager, which was okay, but I wanted to design and I wanted to be able to teach. So I ended up at Tulane um, for my master's degree. And I knew, we knew that we were just going to stay at Tulane for the three years for me to get my master's degree. And then I was going to get a job in academic theater. And um, the job I got was here at Ole Miss in the theater department in 2004. And so though it was really hard to leave New Orleans, I was excited about coming to Oxford. And so when you got the job in the theater department, um, at Ole Miss that was in costuming yes yes so I was it was not just a shop manager job it was a shop manager job plus a teaching job which is what appealed to me so I would be teaching patterning and draping and how in the actual construction of the costumes as well as running the shop so it was sort of a step up from what I had at LSU so I was really excited about coming to do that so tell me about some of your favorite um shows or some of your favorite costumes that you worked at worked on during that time period um we did some really amazing great fun shows at Ole Miss 
some of the fun, the ones I enjoyed the most really were um, some of the dance pieces. There was a dance teacher there who did some dance pieces. And then I also really enjoyed working. Um, I did some work, um, some design work at um, for Tulane, I mean, not Tulane, Ole Miss, I guess it was called the Oxford Shakespeare Festival that was here for about 10 years. And I did Romeo and Juliet and the complete works of Shakespeare here. And I had a really good time on that. And then of course, as being shop manager, all the shows were fun in some way because they were all different. You know, I used to say my job was so fun because in six weeks it would change. You know, we'd be doing a different show. And so the whole sort of theme and idea and even the kind of construction work we were doing was completely different on each show. That's nice that um, to have that variety. It was really fun. Well, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. We're recording at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. I'm Melody Moody-Thordis with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'll have more from my conversation with guest Andy Bedsworth after the break. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today I'm talking to visual artist Andy Bedsworth. So Andy, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your art and fiber arts in general. So uh, before we talk about your artwork, tell our listeners what fiber arts is for someone who might not know us using that term. Okay, so fiber arts can be a lot of different, there's a lot of like subcategories of that. So knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, weaving, felting, dyeing fabrics. Um, There's a lot of different types of fiber arts that are encompassing that. And then some people just mismatch a lot of it together, which is a little bit more Um, close to what I do. I add some mixed media into my fiber arts as well. Okay, so tell me, so so describe for me some of the art that you do in, in fiber arts. Okay, so when I first started doing, I'd say I probably started doing what I would consider like my artwork probably in 2008 is probably when I started. I was you know, sewing a lot during the day in the costume shop and teaching. And I think in the evenings, I wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily like what I did at work, but still creative, you know. So I started making collages and things, and I would put papers and wood pieces and gears and junk metal and photographs, and I would glue them to canvases. And then I would embellish that with hand stitching because I still was attracted to the whole sewing process and then for a little while I kind of got away from the sewing on the work completely and was just making collages you know Um, but there was something about the sewing process that's um, real appealing to me particularly the hand sewing process I really like to do that embroidery work and cross stitch and so now a lot of times I will paint something on a canvas like a background and then I will attach fabric pieces to make a picture or a composition and then I will hand stitch those pieces down um, to further embellish it and then I may add some ink and paper and 
and other things to it. But even some of my later work has just become a lot of it can just be stitching too, just fabric and hand stitching and not the paint. It's sort of morphing, you know, and it changes as mm-hmm. I Depending on what I'm doing, because I'm teaching all the time different classes to children and adults, I get inspired by random things. And so I'll, and that gets incorporated into my artwork. You know, if we're studying an artist, I may get inspired by a technique and throw that into my own artwork. So typically with your art, is it, are you then framing it or are you using it? You know, when I think of fiber arts, I think we'll... Like Coulter Fosler, for example, um, you know, does great some great quilting work, um, artist in um, Water Valley. And, you know, her art then you use. So so I was just curious, is there any is there any art that you make that then you use as So when I'm making like clothes and stuff, obviously, but the artwork no, it, it gets hung usually. Okay. And so if they're on canvases already, the stretched canvases, like I sew straight through the, the stretched canvases. Uh-huh. I don't have an art background per se. I have a design background. So I did have to take art classes in grad school, but I didn't learn how to, you know, stretch canvases and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I buy them already stretched and then I sew them. Then those, they just hang the way they are. Um, but if I'm working on something else, like it's a fabric piece or a paper piece, I will frame it. Um, and then sometimes I incorporate it into like a, a wall quilt too. So there are different things that I've done. It just depends on what the piece calls for. Have you done Have you done much quilting? So that's interesting because my mom is a big quilter and I had, I've done a couple baby quilt things and a couple things for friends and family if they want just basic things. Um, but I have been going with my mom to the International Quilt Festival for three years now. I got funding through MAC to go and take classes and so I just made my first, like, mom's like, it's not your first quilt, but it's my first, like, sort of official quilt from a pattern, you know, like uh-huh. a real, I was following templates and directions, and now I'm working on my second one. So I have been doing a lot more of that because it's sort of, like, is very inspiring when you go to these quilting conventions and there's and fiber art is so varied. They're not just your traditional quilts. People are painting on them and doing all kinds of cool embroidery. It's pretty fascinating what you can do with them. Yeah, I'm real fascinated by that. My great grandmother was a was a master quilter and she you know, she's in all these magazines and all her work and it's yeah, it's it's embroidered on and then the one the one quilt I have of hers I'm so fascinated with that I guess it was pieces and parts that her and her friends would send in the mail to each other so that they had different pieces to yeah, work from. Yeah, people do that. They swap. Like, I, I've been going to our local quilt guild, and, like, we all made blocks the other day using this technique. I had never done it before. And then we they raffled off. Like, they just called someone's name. And so I ended up with, like, 14 blocks that everybody had done. So I'm like, what? So I guess I have, they're like, oh, can't wait to see what you do with it. You know, so I have to come up with something. That was the raffle, like you won the raffle and that was, (laughs) and it was a culmination of. Of uh, everyone's blocks. That is fascinating. It's a hilarious, yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. So communal. Yeah, (laughs) it is. The the quilting seems to be that way. The Mm -hmm. quilting community seems I think it just always has been. Always has been. (laughs) Because women would get together and help each other hand quilt their quilts yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I was always I I was always very fascinated by it I've never I've never tried it but 
my great grandmother, she moved to a smaller house, and but she was so into it that she had one of those quilting things that you raised it on the ceiling yes, so that yes. she could use the room. I've seen those. Right, and then yeah. bring it back down so she could quilt. Yes. And I always just thought that was so, <laughs> it blew my mind as a young kid, just yes. like looking up and the quilts on the ceiling and couldn't believe. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, my mom just used a hoop and I have a hoop too that I just uh-huh. use, you know, because I didn't do, I haven't done any big scale. Things oh, I yet. see, uh-huh. I see. So yeah, it's I don't know anything hoop, about it. Yeah, yeah. See, so you're doing one section at a time. I do one really. section at a time. Yeah, I see. Tell me more about some of the teaching that you've done. I am like a mobile teacher. That's where the art to go came from because I interviewed all these people who had businesses and they all said, don't get a storefront. Just like do your thing. You don't have to get a place to teach. Move around to different schools. Um, and so that's really what I do. I teach on any given day, several places. Like today I taught this morning at Oxford Park Commission class of, they're like um, 40 and up. They call it senior lifestyles and leisure or whatever. 40 and up. Yeah, is I know. Senior. We were like, what? Wow. But anyway, so, um, but most of the, most of the ladies in there are retired. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they range from um, their 50s to, I had one lady who was in her 90s who comes. And then we also, I teach, and then Later this afternoon, I'll teach at the Montessori School. I teach adjunct at Northwest Community College here in Oxford. I teach theater appreciation, which I love. That gives still keeps me in the theater game. Monday, I was teaching at the Powerhouse, um, a camp for President's Day. I will teach lessons, usually five to seven lessons, private lessons in my studio. And, and what those, kind of classes are these? So those range from um, the lessons. Some of those are sewing lessons. And then some of them are private art lessons. It just depends on what the person wants to learn. And then mainly the classes I teach out in the public are art, though I do teach some sewing classes. I'm teaching a fiber art surface design for adults, so we're mainly doing a lot of dyeing and painting techniques on fabric. And that's on Wednesdays at the Powerhouse. So it just really, every day, my boyfriend's like, I don't ever know what you're doing each day. And I'm like, I don't either until I look at my planner. And it tells me where I go each hour. Because <laughs> yeah. it's different. Every couple hours, I'm in a different location, you know. Have you ever done shibori? Um so that's hilarious because my mom and I were very interested in Shibori. And so we went to a demo at the International Quilt Festival. And it looked so complicated that we were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't get into this. And then last year we went to a Shibori workshop on accident because we, we were so tired. You walk around and we were like, we got to rest our feet. So we sat down and the title of the workshop was Pole Dancing. Because apparently shibori is done on these PVC uh-huh. poles. And so the woman <laughs> was really funny and kept emphasizing the pole dancing aspect of shibori dyeing. And again, we thought maybe we won't try shibori. Huh. But um, it looks really cool. That's one of the dyeing techniques that I actually haven't done yet that I would probably like to do. But it seems very um, labor intensive. You know, I took shibori classes in in uh, high school, and that's why I asked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just kept taking the shibori class over and what over. What a cool high school you over. had that yeah. you got to take shibori. Yeah. What? Well, it was called shibori and beads, and for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, it's a dyeing technique. So some of the – maybe it was our age, maybe it was sh- – 
um, shibori itself, but a lot of stuff did end up looking kind of just tie-dyed. So uh-huh, to just give uh-huh. people a, right. a visual. We all did the tie-dye. Our teacher wanted us to do the more traditional, you know, right. navy and, and stuff right. like that. But the class was called Shibori and Beads. And half the semester was shibori and half the semester was beadwork. And I hated beadwork so much. But I loved the cla- I loved the shibori that shibori. I just kept taking yeah. it as an elective over uh-huh. and over and just getting through the beadwork part. Getting through the beadwork. <laughs> I would say I also prefer dyeing to beadwork. I've done a little bit of both, but I do prefer. And I will do a little bit of the beadwork. But I do prefer the dyeing is so mm-hmm. fun. It's yeah. so fun. And yeah. I li- I love, like, not quite knowing what you're going to get. You, that's what the best part is. Like, sometimes you're like, that's awesome. And then yeah. sometimes it's not so awesome. So you just put it back in the dye pot. With it, and you're like, oh, we're going to make it awesome. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I'm very much a planner. So I think I really loved that. Yeah, you had to let it dry, I guess, for or soak yeah. for, I think, 24 hours at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was just kind of like, well, I've done what I can do. We'll see what it is we'll tomorrow. We'll see what it is you know? tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what I like the And then the there's best. the big reveal. Yeah. yeah. You're like, yes. And you're right. There's a big reveal, but then you're also, like, never quite done. Like, you could dye it all over you again could, if you over dye it yeah you could yeah. bleach it and you then could bleach dye, it and dye it again <laughs> right. so many times have i stripped fabric that didn't dye well and then re-dyed it yeah yeah i i hope i hope i hope somehow our conversation inspires someone out there who is afraid of trying something like that or maybe they know how to sew but haven't quite taken that into you know art right that, yeah. that maybe they'll they'll explore that because i'm i'm wanting to get back into dyeing fabric just from our conversation <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we dyed the other day. We dyed wool. I learned how to dye wool with Wilton food coloring. Oh, interesting. Melody, it's easy. You and get it's some, whole. It's, it does because you put, you put vinegar in it mm. and um, half vinegar, half hot water with the dye. Mix the dye in there, the Wilton food color, basically. Mm-hmm. And you put the wool in there. And then you just uh, line dry it and then heat set it with an iron or your dryer. Okay. I was always afraid to use food coloring because I was worried that the vibrancy wouldn't come out. But the vinegar seems it's like that's... It's very like vibrant. Secret. It comes out really almost more... I think it looks more vibrant than like the Rit dye or the... T- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tulip dye because a lot of that washes out but the vinegar and that you have to use salt like writ dye you use salt with because those are like cotton so it's different you know it gets kind of technical with mm-hmm. but with the animal protein it being wool being animal you use vinegar and it comes out really great oh that's great yeah that's the thing that's always drawn me I'm a painter and it's colors I just love colors I yes. love to work with colors and so I think yes. that's what really uh, intrigued me about dyeing yeah. things because yeah. you're really and it's so fun to dye with the wilt because there's lots of different colors of wilt and food coloring mm-hmm. and it's not expensive and it's not toxic you know it's mm-hmm. not like you need a respirator and all that well it also sounds like it'd be a great kids project I mean if you if it's not expensive right and you can kind of you know do you ever you you teach children as well you I said? teach a lot of children as uh-huh. well yeah I haven't done that technique with the kids but we did this summer we had a 
tie-dyeing like we did a summer camp it was like a three-day camp and we tie-dyed and we did we did all kinds of color exploration but we tie-dyed shirts and that was it looked like a rainbow had exploded in the room (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure well you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio I'm Melody Moody Thordis with the Mississippi Arts Commission after a short break we'll continue our conversation with my guest Andy Bedsworth Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today I'm speaking with Oxford-based artist Andy Bedsworth. So Andy, before the break, we were talking about um, the different types of fiber arts, dyeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit more about the Fiber Arts Festival. Okay. So tell me how that started, what it's like. I did not start the festival. I inherited the festival. I now coordinate it. But in 2011, there was a partnership between the Yatnapatafa Arts Council and the University Museum. The University Museum was bringing in G's Ben's quilts. Mm -hmm. And um, they asked if the Arts Council would have some sort of programming with it. So Wayne Andrews at the Yatnapatafa Arts Council got in touch with the ladies who owned Knit One Oxford. It was a local yarn shop. And they put together this festival. And I remember going to the first one and thinking, this is so great. I called my mom. I was like, this is amazing. They had Angora bunnies, and they had people showing how to spin yarn and dyeing and all kinds of fabrics and things to buy and products made from fabrics. And then products just to make your own things. It was really interesting. A few years after that, um, they asked me to be a vendor. And so for several years, I would sell my sewn items, uh, not just my artwork, but I would also sew funky needle holders and pin cushions and different things. And my mom quilts a lot, so she would do it with me. And she would come in from Baton Rouge and sell her, you know, baby things, blankets she'd made and quilts and all kinds of fun stuff. Then we got a little notice, I want to say three years ago, after the Fiber Festival, the ladies wrote and said, okay, we're done, that was the last one, and we were all like, what? And I wrote Wayne at the Arts Council, he said, yeah, I don't want to be done. I was like, me neither. Um, So they figured out a way to hire me part-time just to coordinate the festival. And what's the best part about the festival? Well, there's lots of great parts about it, but it's in January every year at the end of January. So it's cold. There's not a whole lot of fun things to do, right? Um, And this is a great way for families and just individuals to come out and spend the weekend and learn about all the different types of fiber arts. Um, shop there's activities we have we have almost 30 classes over you know three days where people can learn everything from um, making um, beaded you know knitted beaded bracelets needle felting paintings uh, needle felting little creatures and dolls spinning we had several spinning classes one on the wheel one on the drop spindle lots of weaving classes um We've had quilting classes in the past. We had two natural dyeing classes this year, um, knitting, crocheting, and sort of every sort of variation of knitting and crocheting 
So lots of really cool classes. We had a uh, we always have a, a lecture, um, a guest lecturer come in and lecture about something can be. We've had a famous weaver through the university. They always still partner with us. This year they brought in a textile conservator who came in and talked to us about things you could do to preserve your old linens and, you know, baby clothes and all that kind of stuff, fur coats. And she answered, people brought in stuff, you know, that they had questions. So it's always just a super fun. And did you say it's three days? So it's, um, we usually set up on a Thursday and open late Thursday and have a reception Thursday. And then we run all day Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Okay, so you said classes, vendors, and just open to all ages. All ages. We have kids' activities usually on that Saturday, and uh, we have animals. So we've had alpacas and llamas and sheep and goats, you know, animals that the kids can learn that their fiber comes from these animals. And when they give them a haircut, then it can become yarn and then it become an outfit. So that's really cool. The kids all love that. Oh, yeah, that's so cute. You it's have the so softest cute. animals. Yeah, 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 the sweetest little softest animals out there. The kids love that. And the parents love that they're learning something, yeah. too. And lots of ladies come, men do, too, and come and take classes. They'll come from out of town and take classes for the whole weekend. You know, they'll take a class every day, you know, oh, wow. or two classes a day, and they just make a weekend of it, you know, and shop. and Because we have vendors from all over. We have vendors who come from Tennessee, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Louisiana. So, you know, it's their time to people to shop you know, things that you can't get everywhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that particularly for fiber arts, the classes are so valuable. I know for me, I tried to teach myself crocheting and just wasn't quite getting it, you know. And I went and took a class at the Mississippi Crafts Festival um, Museum. And, and it was just like a small little thing that I was doing. But I just needed someone to show me in, in yes, person. to show you how to do it. We have mm-hmm. a lot of people who are like, I bought a spinning wheel and I try to show myself how to do it on YouTube. But, you know, it's like you need someone. It helps. And then they, they're right in there doing it. And then they go home and they have the skill that they can use. You know, so most of our classes don't even require experience. Some of them do. Some of the knitting and crochet are advanced, but we did offer beginning knitting and crochet this year, and we had people take both classes, you know. And a lot of the dyeing classes require no advanced skills, you know, or the needle felting, so. it's. Do you think it's having, like, a resurgence? Uh, yes, I definitely I mean, just in my own studio, people are often asking me to take sewing lessons, embroidery lessons, dyeing. People want to learn how to do those things. And all ages, I have lots of kids who are doing that, but I also have lots of grown-ups, moms who are coming in and learning while their kids are in school because they didn't have home ec and they wanted to learn how to do that, you know. So. That's what it seems to me. It's like everything, we kind of swing back and forth from technology to, mm-hmm. you know, this these more traditional forms and yeah, those of us who missed missed home ec and, you know, really want to learn those skills. I know for me, I, crocheting appealed to me just in general. I wanted to do, learn a different art form, but I honestly wanted to spend less time on my phone. Mm-hmm. And crocheting seemed like a really great way to do something productive with my hands. Yes. 
while I was doing the same things I was doing when I was looking at my phone. Like, right. I could watch TV while I'm doing right. it. Right, yeah. In fact, my husband loves fishing, and I quickly learned that it's a quiet sport. I thought it was a, <laughs> I thought it was a ch- chatting activity, but it, it is it not. It is not. Um, <laughs> so when I brought my uh, crochet, it was perfect. Right, <laughs> like yeah. Perfect. So now um, I may be the only one that does that, but, like, we go fishing, and I bring my crochet. You bring your crochet. And yeah. we have a great time out on the water. Yes. <laughs> yes, and I love that you took it at the Mississippi Craft Center. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I have some friends who teach there. I was the youngest time. one in the class, but I was so, you know, eager. And, you know, like I said, it, I, w- I had it halfway, but I didn't want to continue learning wrong. Well, yes. You know, yes. so I just need, I needed them to tweak it a little right. bit. But right. I was just amazed. Some of the people in our class were just there for a refresher. They'd been crocheting for, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh-huh. And they just wanted to come. And I think some some of them just wanted the community of sitting around a table and doing it together. Yes. Yeah, so we have a big, uh, one of the popular things at the festival is a big knitting circle. And you can go and crochet, knit, hand sew. And I mean, for three days, that area was populated with people sitting chatting with each other getting to know each other people sharing ideas and people like how did you do that and how did you oh I love that yarn where did you get that and people just sitting around some people were hand sewing but mostly crochet and knitting and there's this communal aspect Uh about it that's really fun that makes me think you might need to um if you don't already maybe you can incorporate the raffle idea right so we do have raffles but yeah we do have (laughs) raffles and those are really popular no one dislikes a raffle (laughs) right yeah right right um because you know it's so unique we were saying like everybody throws in their extra pieces or yes. something we, we do have on that vein we have the the fiber yarn swap the fabric yarn oh, swap nice. so on fridays though it is upbeat every day because we get so much but people bring in fabric and yarn that they don't want anymore and they trade it Oh, that's fascinating. And then you can just come and get stuff because some people just dump stuff off (laughs) and we're like, please take some stuff. But it's fabulous. I always bring home great stuff. People like get people bring in the coolest, you know, what's trash to you Mm -hmm. or what you don't want anymore. You know, that fabric you've had for eight years or that yarn. Somebody else is going to go home and make something with it. You know, I love that. It's so fun. I love the idea of of an art form where you're kind of. You know, we as artists like are kind of by ourselves creating this thing, right. you know. But but to have this other communal aspect where you're also with people and you're sharing and you're inspiring each other, or you know, like just actually sharing supplies, I mean, sharing supplies, and yeah. they love that. And people do share ideas at the swap table. They're like, well, I don't know what I would do with this. And someone's like, you can make pot holders with that, and blah, blah, and this is how you do it. You know, another person's like, well, I'm taking that, and someone else's like, I'm going to take some of that. You know, so it's really that's one of my of course I say that about all the parts of the fiber festival that they're my favorite part but I really do love the the that was one of my things I said we need to have a swap uh-huh. and um so that was one of the few things I incorporated because the festival is already pretty perfect so and how many years did you say um so it's in its we just had our ninth annual so next year will be our 10-year anniversary. Wow, 10 years ten for the years. festival. I did not And I've only that. been um, coordinating it for three. So how many people typically You know, come? usually we have close to 1,000 people come through the weekend. 
I'm gonna have to come next time. You this have is to come. It's so fun. Yes. I did not realize it was so large, or that it had been going on for so long. You know, it's just in so the power house, so we only have about twenty vendors. You know, but um, it is. You know, it it won't grow a lot as far as like the space and the vendors that we can squeeze into that area. But we have a lot of programming, so we grow the programming all the time. We have demos now all the time, and as well. So if you don't want to take a class, you can just go come and watch demos every hour. Um, but yeah, we have a, quite a few people who come out of town, and they'll stay for the whole weekend. And is there anything you guys are doing like throughout the year? Or is it mostly just during January? So right now, we're just focusing on January. But I would love to do like the film festival does, where we're doing some more auxiliary programming throughout the year. And I've gotten some suggestions and some ideas of some workshops to do, you know, throughout the year. So maybe it's if we spread the fiber arts love a little bit more throughout the year. So do you show your work anywhere? I do show my work. I have, um, I'm a member of the Artist um, Guild in Oxford, and we have a little space over at Sugar Magnolia. And then I am a member of the Craftsman's Guild of Mississippi. So I have work at um, the Craft Center in Ridgeland as well. Okay, well, thank you again so much for joining us. And thanks um, for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.